Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. chapter 13 tonight, there's notes for that if you want them, and, uh, but I want to do some, uh, okay, so we're going to be looking at chapter 13 this evening, but I want to do a little bit of review in chapter 12, because they need to go together, we haven't um, met for the book of Revelation here in a few weeks, and so I want to bring that in first, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word this evening. I pray as we turn to your word, Lord, your living word, this word of your grace, Lord, in our lives. I pray that you would minister your grace and your strength through our lives, Lord, that in our weaknesses you would be made strong, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for the days that are coming, the day that we live in today, Lord, and that we would have the wisdom and the knowledge to understand and to truly do as we sang in that old song that I remember singing almost every Sunday when I grew up, Lord, that we would surrender all to you and that we would be a living sacrifice unto you, Lord, because I just don't think there's, I know there's no other way to be a Christian. But those words do not speak of super Christians or the really, really holy ones, but that's just what it means to be a Christian, Lord. And we are discovering in these days, and we'll find more and more in the days that are coming, Lord, that we have to know which side we are on. We're either with you or we're against you, and there's no in-between. And I just pray that you open our hearts by your word this evening. Holy Spirit, speak to us as you desire, as you will. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to begin uh, in chapter 12 um, and uh, go over uh, verses 10 through 12 again. Okay, it's what was in the notes you had before. I've called the great proclamation from heaven as I've been dividing these notes up and make kind of a semi outline out of them. And then we're going to go into what I'm calling part eight of the book of Revelation. According to my outline, it's not there in the Bible. You can change it however you want. But uh, looking at the beast that comes from the sea and the beast that comes from the earth. And that's Revelation chapter 13, looking at what we usually call the Antichrist and the false. But before we begin that, uh, I just want to draw your attention back to chapter 12 and remind you of the scene or the picture that we see in chapter 12, which is really kind of summarizes the entire book of Revelation and really summarizes the entire course of history that uh, there is uh, one great protagonist or one great hero in the story, and that's Jesus Christ, and there's one great antagonist, one great enemy. And that is Satan, who is called the dragon. And in verse 10, uh, I also want to remind you that we're at that part in the book of Revelation, which is the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet. But that the chronology, as I told you at the very beginning, uh, the book of Revelation is, number one, it's not a calendar. Uh, it's a dramatic, prophetic uh, scripture. And number two, it's not written in modern times. It was written in ancient times. And so sometimes the chronology of things isn't super clear to our Western minds and kind of seems to jump back and forth. Uh, so we can hold on to what we can understand 
And uh, what we don't exactly seem to understand, we just need to feel it on the inside. I don't know any other way to say it. Like I told you before, if you've ever watched a really well done movie or, or a play or something like this, this kind of thing often happens. You don't really know where you are in the story until boom, all of a sudden, it all makes sense in the story. So in chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse 7, that talks about a war in heaven, and that Michael, the great archangel and the prince of Israel, is making war with the dragon. He's making war with Satan, and there's no place found for the dragon in heaven. That the dragon and all of his angels, uh, Satan and all of his angels, are cast down, uh, thrown down, it says, uh, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. It says in verse 9, he, who, uh, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then verse 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, This is this great proclamation that John hears. Now, the salvation and the power, the word now here in the Greek is arthi. It means at this very moment, at this very second. Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brother has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. Remember the message in all seven of the letters to the churches is to be an overcomer. And it says that they overcame him uh, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death or literally even unto death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. So the first thing I want to draw your attention to is, is this, because it's very important for our understanding in our everyday lives as, as Christians, that the devil still has time. It says, woe to the earth and woe to the sea, because the devil, he's really mad, and he still has a short time left to do something. But at the same time, it also says, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ have come. And those things seem to be contradictory, but they're not contradictory if we know Jesus. That his power and his authority, they have come, and yet we still have this battle with Satan that we're walking through. There are many things in Scripture like that. For example, uh, our understanding of salvation as uh, uh, you know, evangelical Christians, uh, if we want to use that term, I think we most often think of salvation in the terms of we have been saved, past tense. We are saved. We've been saved, and that's true. Uh, if someone were a Catholic, they would probably think more in the terms of we will be saved. Uh, and I don't know if I'm saved today, things like that, which is also true. But the whole truth, actually, in the Scripture is that we are saved. It's past tense. And yet we are being saved. It's present tense also. And we will be saved. It's future tense. Our salvation is not complete yet. But it's completed in Christ Jesus on the cross. And so we know that it will be fulfilled in the future with our resurrection from the dead. And so it is here. We have different stories of Satan being cast down from heaven in the scripture. And I'm not going to turn to it just because of time. But I'll give this to you. You've probably read it before. But if you'll go back to the prophet Isaiah and chapter 14, and chapter 14, and especially verses 12 through 16, 
There's a prophetic picture, and I say prophetic because it's a prophecy given to the king of Babylon, but inside of that prophecy, which often happens with prophecy, there is something that could not possibly apply to the king of Babylon, that it applies to Lucifer, the son of the morning. It applies to Satan. And it talks about how he has been cast down from heaven. Well, at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, uh, when Adam and Eve are first there at some point, you know, in those, that story, we see that the devil is already in the garden. So this happened, you know, sometime at the very beginning of the book of Genesis. The Bible isn't clear on exactly what moment it happened, so it doesn't matter for us to know that. But we know that he was cast down from heaven. And we read in Isaiah, why? Because he, in his pride, lifted up his throne against God. And that's important for us to understand. People often think, oh, the devil lives in hell. You know, that's what most people in the world think. The devil lives in hell. He does not live in hell, and he does not want to live in hell. Okay? He wants to rule and reign in heaven. He wants to overthrow the throne of God. That, having been a complete failure, he wants to do everything he can to do to destroy the kingdom of God, to destroy the lives of of those who are the children of God. And that's what chapter 12 tells us. And so we have this progression in Scripture. We see that he was in heaven, and we remember there are three heavens in the Scripture. That in the third heaven, in the place where God dwells, where his throne is, the place of the New Jerusalem. And we see that he was in heaven at one time. God created him as, a, as an angel, and yet he fell from heaven, and he was cast down to the earth. Okay, And when it says the earth, we also know that these principalities and powers, they are rulers in the heavenly places. So they rule in the heavens, but not in the third heaven where God is, okay? Uh, but in this, these heavens, this atmosphere where we are. And yet, in the book of Job, we have a picture of him showing up in heaven to accuse Job of things. So the bottom line is, we don't really know how all of it works. And we don't need to know how all of it works, because the Bible doesn't tell us. And that's one of the dangers of getting into speculating on things. Paul talks about, talked about the danger of beginning to worship angels or make a bigger deal out of them in our worship than the Bible makes out of them. Because they are fiery servants. They have been chosen by God to serve him. And all of their work is um, ordained to bring us to the face of Jesus so that we would find uh, the face of, of God. And so... Um, having said all that, we do know some things about him. And we have that at the beginning of Genesis, that he's fallen from heaven. Look with me at Luke chapter 10 real quickly. Luke chapter 10, I want to read this because it's important for the understanding of being an overcomer. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says that the 70, the disciples that Jesus had gone out and sent by two, two by two, commissioned them to preach the gospel, it says, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were surprised by that. They didn't know it would really work. But it really works, Jesus. The demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You know how lightning falls? It falls, you know, I know scientifically it doesn't technically fall, but that's a way of speaking that we still use to this day. You know how lightning falls. It falls in the, in the twinkling of an eye in, in a split second. And so he says, I saw him, I was watching him fall from heaven like lightning. And behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. He's obviously speaking about satanic forces, about demons. 
and calling them dragons, serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. And that's so much the message of the book of Revelation. That's what it's all about. And we need to understand that there is absolutely nothing, nothing that Satan can do that will injure us. Well, how does that fit in with these things of loving up your life and going unto death? Uh, seal number five, many Christians are being martyred and put to death. Isn't that an injury? No, that's not an injury. That's just a promotion into glory. That's the end of everybody's life if we don't live long enough for the second coming of Jesus. And if he's chosen that day for us to die, what better way to die than to die and lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel and for the name uh, of Jesus? And so there's no fear in that. Injury is a spiritual injury. It's what Satan's really trying to do to our lives, is to destroy us on the inside. And it says as we walk in the power of his name, that we will tread on serpents and scorpions. I don't know about you, but I personally, if I see a scorpion, don't tread on it. I just get away from it or try to hit it with a shovel or something like that. But spiritually, we are called to tread on the scorpions, to tread on the serpents, and that no power of the enemy will be able to injure us. And that's very important as we begin to read things in the book of Revelation about the beast rising from the sea. I mean, there's some shocking things written in chapter 13, some things that can be scary to us when we read in chapter 13, and especially as we look at the world that we live in now. But it says here, very clearly in chapter 12, uh, that they overcame him. That's past tense. They overcame him. And they overcame him, and they are overcomers, because just like Jesus, they do not love their lives even unto death. Jesus did not love his life even unto death. That he counted his life as a sacrifice. That he surrendered all to his Father. And with that level of commitment of taking up our cross and following Jesus, that's what it really means to be a Christian. Then there is no power of Satan that can overcome us. And they did this by the blood of the Lamb, it says, and by the word of the testimony that they had. And that testimony is the testimony of Jesus. You remember Revelation 19.10 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so we have a picture in the Bible of Satan being cast down from heaven uh, at the beginning of Genesis. We have a picture in the Bible of Satan being cast down from heaven uh, toward the end of the book of Revelation. And we have a picture in the Bible, uh, in the Gospels, kind of in the middle, of Jesus saying, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And so you don't need to try to think in this Western mindset of, oh, he must have got knocked down and they went back up. And so he got get knocked down again and went back up. They had to get knocked down and, uh, and they got knocked down and he went back up again. And he gets knocked down here. And then later on, he's going to get released for a thousand years or after the thousand years he's done. And so he gets back up again. That's not the thing that we need to see. We just need to see the progression of how God works and why he doesn't do everything in a single instant of time the way we think of a single instance of time. That's also an important matter. And Peter says that one day with him is a thousand years to us. So what seems to you like to be this really long period of time is a single event from the point of eternity. Uh, but, you know, God has patience. In that same passage, Peter says that he's giving this time because he cares about the precious fruit of the earth. 
if he would have, in a single instant of our time, cast down all the power of Satan and all the power of sin with no mercy whatsoever, then both Adam and Eve would have been destroyed and none of us would even be alive. And he loves us. He loves us. And so he does things over progression and over time. We see that in prophecy, as I already talked to you a lot about those things. And prophecies have dual fulfillments. And sometimes they have more than just two fulfillments. And they, but, but it's the same prophecy. And it's the same work that God is doing. That's really important to me. Because when I'm facing the power of the enemy, I want to know that he is defeated. That the defeat is not impending. It has already happened. And that there is nothing he can do to injure me because I'm walking with Jesus. And yet, I don't want to live my life in surprise about that or just rejoicing about that. Because honestly, that's not the big deal. The big deal is that I, uh, born in sin and worthy of death because of many things I've done in my life, have been saved. And my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, not by our own strength, by his grace that's perfected in our weaknesses. And then notice also that it says here, uh, that in this proclamation, it says, O heavens, uh, for this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. So remember I've been talking to you about this great divorce or this great divide. We've sorry, several times talked about this and how God is forcing all the power of the enemy down into this very concentrated area of the earth in order to bring about the complete destruction of wickedness. And we see this thick darkness around us. We see it today. And as the other Pastor Kevin was sharing a week ago, that the Bible also talks about that when God is walking, he has thick darkness under his feet. So he's gathering that together. We can't forget about that, that there are things that are happening that seem that the devil's doing them. But in the book of Revelation, we see the ultimate big picture that God is doing those things, that God is bringing these things to pass. So if he has chosen us, and if it's true that we are the last generation and Jesus will be back here really, really soon, and I feel like that's true, uh, and he's chosen us to live in these last days, then we should uh, rejoice in those things. Because we actually do not, listen to this, we actually do not dwell on this earth. We dwell in heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors from heaven. And he says, rejoice, heavens, and you who dwell in them. But if our lives are bound to this earth, then it says, woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. If you're looking for a reason for all the craziness in our world today, you better look further than politics, because this is the reason. The devil is mad, and he knows that he doesn't have very much time left, and he's doing all he can to utterly destroy the things that God has created and what he has redeemed unto himself. In verse 17 of chapter 12, we read, So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. We have to know tonight that we are engaged in a battle. And although it is true that the salvation, the power of the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ have come, the battle is still raging. And we are engaged in a battle today. We are engaged in a battle with an enemy whose fury will continually be increasing until the coming of the Lord. That's why I say sometimes, 
don't think things are going to get better. They're only going to get worse before they get better. Now that's looking at it from the earthly standpoint. I understand. But we need to understand that, that this is, is a battle. I heard a sermon today of Pastor Tom Chisholm. Can you believe that? Saying he found a bunch of old cassettes. And I never have a cassette player, but old Roy, that's why I call it picking my bottom Roy. Uh, well, Roy has a cassette player at Tom. I'm going to plug one of these in. I plugged it in, and the whole thing was messed up. And all of a sudden, it started working. And all I really heard was he was talking about Abram and the covenant that God made and how Abram had to chase away the ravens that were trying to eat the sacrifice. And he said something really good in there. He said, uh, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but he's, he said basically that I'm preaching this so you'll know that, that in your laziness, you will not achieve the greatness that God has for you or God will not do in your life what he wants to do in your life. You have to take part in that. You have to chase away the birds, you have to be engaged in the battle. We may not like it, uh, but I think it's a great honor, honestly, that God has chosen to do his will through us. And we are the overcomers on this earth. And these end time events, they hinge on our obedience to engage the enemy in battle. And we have to understand that this is not an easy battle. He has great wrath. Okay? So woe to the earth and to the sea. Also notice that it says he has only a short time. So the short time, specifically in the book of Revelation, is always these little phrases are always referring to the time of the great tribulation, which once again is not the last seven years, it's the last three and a half years, the last half of that last seven years. And as I said before, we could actually be in the beginning of the first of the last seven years and we may not even necessarily know that. But we have definite signs that would tell us we were in the final three and a half years. And so we're on the cusp of that. That's coming very soon. And uh, we are already engaged in this battle. Okay, so that's a little bit of review. Let's look at chapter 13. And I'll begin uh, with, in your notes, I'm not going to go over any of this. I just put it there for you. And you can go over it at home if you want to. These are some things that we've already looked at and read about the Antichrist, okay? Uh, who, the one who's called in the book of Revelation, the beast. Uh, there are two beasts in the book of Revelation. And the first beast is always called the beast. But he's also called the man of lawlessness in scripture. He's called the man of sin. He's called the prince of the people that will come. He's called uh, by John, the Antichrist. And that's kind of the name that has stuck with him. And so I'll just be calling him that, the Antichrist. And he is the deceiver. In the book of Revelation, however, he is called the beast. Uh, the beast, the word beast in the Greek refers to it, exactly what it refers to in English. It doesn't refer to a domesticated dog or cat. It refers to a wild beast. And we see in the scripture, this is important, that the beast is more than just a single person. It's an entire system, okay? And we have a governing system with the first beast, and we have, it's a governing and a military Governments, of course, are involved in the military. There's a governing system with the first beast, and there's a religious system with the second beast, okay? And they work in tandem. They work with one another. And yet, at the same time, just like with governments today, uh, just like with organized religions today, uh, they are represented by a single person who stands in the place of, of that beast, okay? Um, so let's look at chapter 13 and uh, begin reading with, with verse 1 and talk about the first beast, the first beast. 
it says in verse 1, And the dragon, so that's Satan, right? He stood on the sand of the seashore, or the sand of the sea. So he's been cast down to the earth, and he's standing on the sand of the sea. So he's standing on the borderline between earth and sea. And the sea refers to two, two different things, at least. Okay? I'm not ever going to be uh, telling you that I categorically know that that's all it refers to, because a lot of things we don't know until they happen. But it definitely refers to two things that we see in the scripture. One, when the sea is mentioned in the scripture, it's usually, unless there's some qualifier, it's referring to the Mediterranean Sea, which is the heart of the entire Roman Empire. And two, we've already seen this, the sea also refers to the abyss, which refers to Sheol, as the Hebrews called it, we usually call it hell, that's not really a good Bible word, but Hades is a much better biblical word, or the bottomless pit that we've already looked at in other places. So, get this, I'm just going to use hell because it's a word we understand. <laughs> Satan's standing on the border between earth and hell. And he's conjuring something up out of hell to release it onto the earth. Okay, that's kind of a Disney movie picture you can get in your mind. The dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. It says, then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Wow. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. So the power, throne, and authority come directly from Satan. This is not God's authority. This is Satan's. And it says uh, in verse 3, uh, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? And before I read on, let me talk about those four verses. So this beast comes up out of the sea. The second beast we're going to see comes up out of the earth. The sea, as I said, refers to the abyss, chapter 11, verse 7, that the beast comes up out of the abyss, or the bottomless pit. We've talked about that already. But it also refers to the nations surrounding the Mediterranean. So this is a reference of him coming up from somewhere out of the Roman Empire. And as I've already told you, that could mean almost any place on earth today, the way the Roman Empire developed, okay? Uh, but he comes up out of the empire that was in power at the time that John wrote these things. What I want to draw your attention to is nobody really knows where he comes from. He just comes out of the sea. When we see the sea in Scripture, the sea in real life, in our lives, you know, the Scripture's not real life, but in our lives, it's something that's unfathomed. It's something that's a mystery. To this day, with all of our modern science, we don't know everything that's under the water out there, do we? And, and so he comes from out of nowhere. We also need to see that in this. Let's say he is the Antichrist, okay? And so we can, re we can draw some correlations between him and Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came from a very specific place. Uh, of course, from heaven, I mean, his birth happened in a very specific place. He was born in Bethlehem, right? Exactly as the prophet said. 
But in his ministry, we notice that nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. And they keep saying, how can anybody come out of Galilee? How can anybody come out of Galilee? Come out of the other nations, you know, and stuff like that. They don't really know where he came from. And so we see that with him. When we get to the second beast, we'll see a little bit of a different picture that would be more comparable to John the Baptist. Not saying they're the same, but they're the anti. He is the antichrist. The word anti doesn't mean really against. It means like a mirror image that's against someone that's standing on the other side of them. Okay? So he's deceived people. They see him as a Christ. Uh, just like the dragon, he has ten horns and uh, seven heads. So he has the same heads as the dragon, and he has the same horns with the same strength. Horns are strength and authority. The same strength and the authority of the dragon. Uh, only it says that he, he has only seven diadems, not ten diadems. The dragon has ten. He has only seven diadems. Um, I'm sorry, he has ten diadems. The dragon has only seven. And I don't. I just don't want to get into this too much because we're going to go over it again later because it keeps coming up. It's not really that complicated. There are only seven kingdoms, okay, this is, that are in the scripture that all stem from the Tower of Babylon. There, and there are really only seven kingdoms in history. We still live in Rome, whether you know that or not. There are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and what took the place of Rome that we still live in, but often referred to as barbarian Rome, uh, the Rome that we still live in uh, today. Those are the great kingdoms of Scripture that have dealings with Israel. So why didn't I say China or you know some other great nation, India? Because that they don't have dealings with Israel in Scripture. And the prophetic picture is all around the land, all around Israel. Okay, and so that are, these are these seven uh, real kingdoms. But it says that this Antichrist he has ten horns, or he has ten. Diadems. But if you'll recall, we already talked about this. We'll talk about it again. Uh, there are ten, actually ten nations or ten barbarian tribes that conquered Rome. And the Holy Roman Empire came out of that. And all of our modern government structures in the West, they came out of that. So I say, like I said, we still live in that whether we know it or not. And yet from those ten, it already happened in the time of Charlemagne, and I gave you historical information on that. Uh, three of them were subdued by the great leader. In that case, it was Charlemagne. In this case, it will be the Antichrist. And so three are put under. So he has ten diadems, but they're really only seven. Um, and we see in Daniel chapter 10, chapter 2, that with the great uh, image that Nebuchadnezzar put up, that there were ten toes, and those toes are really important. Because those toes represent, if you'll remember, the final Rome. Okay? And in the vision and in the message that's given to Daniel, none of this is understandable without reading and studying Daniel. That in the vision and the message given to Daniel, there's this understanding that the last kingdom will be a kingdom made up of clay and of, of metal, that, that do not mix, clay and iron, that do not mix with each other. And it will be in those ten toes. That is the world we live in today, okay? That is the world we live in today, very different from any of the other kingdoms that, that came before. Uh, it says about him that he is a leopard. Did you notice that? So if we go back to Daniel, the leopard is Greece. 
or some people would call Macedonia, that's one and the same. The leopard is Greece, the leopard is Alexander the Great. So he is Greece, but he has the feet of a bear. And in the book of Daniel, the bear is Persia, the Persian Empire, and he has the mouth of a lion, and in the book of Daniel, the lion is Babylon. So he speaks with the authority of, of Babylon. So he is all of these mixed into one. And that's just like a statue that's in Daniel chapter 2, the image that was put up that, that Daniel uh, was revealed to Daniel in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. So his power is thrown and his authority all come from the dragon. So again, he's the Antichrist. What did Jesus do? The dragon comes to Jesus in the wilderness and he says to him, he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. He showed him the United States of America. He showed him every kingdom that ever was and ever will be. And he said, all of these kingdoms are under my authority. Jesus didn't argue with them there. Because of sin, they are under his authority. And he said, if you'll bow the knee to me, I'll give them all to you. And Jesus rejected that offer, didn't he? He refused to receive that authority from him. Because that authority comes from the Father God alone. What does the Antichrist do? He accepts the offer. And he receives all of that authority from the dragon. And then it also tells us that one of his heads was wounded. And the literal Greek says, the Greek literally means that it was slaughtered, that it was put to death in battle. So one of those seven heads has completely stopped to, to function. There are seven heads. Again, it's, this isn't really complicated. This Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, Barbarian, Rome. And one of those heads has been put to death in battle, but it will come back alive. And the whole world will wonder that that power rock, it came back to life and took authority over the whole earth again. And you can imagine, you know, I can remember being a kid and people talking about, oh, maybe this is the coming European Union. And I remember being a kid thinking, hey, there can't be no European Union. It just didn't even make any sense. I mean, all the stuff people used to talk about, it all of a sudden came true, and you start wondering about, wow, where is this going to come from? And, you know, I can't, I'm standing here today, I can't tell you where it's going to come from, but it's coming. And when it comes, all the world will wonder at that, that that which seemed to be slaughtered, that which seemed to be put down, it has been revived and it has been healed. And so this will cause great wonder to the people of the earth. It says in verse 4 that the world will worship the dragon. That's Satanism. It says the world will worship Satan. I don't know if you know this, but Satanism isn't waning today. It's on the rise. The world will openly worship Satan. And why will they worship Satan? Because of the authority that he gives to the beast. Do you know what authority is? Authority is the ability to give people what they want. And he will give people what they want. And because they get what they want, they will worship the dragon himself. And it says, but not only will they worship the dragon, but they will worship the beast. And they will worship him because of his power. Because he has a great pride. Because he has great strength. Because his fortress is seemingly unassailable. That he cannot be defeated. And so they will side with the beast. Go with me over to Psalm chapter, or 
not chapter, but the second psalm, Psalm 2. This is just a perfect time to read this psalm. Psalm 2. I want to remind you that the word worship in the Greek, that it literally means, it literally means to bow the knee before someone and to kiss them. You know, most likely to kiss their hand. And the English word worship is actually a great word. It means to acknowledge the worth of somebody. It's actually worth-ship. That's the meaning of worship, to acknowledge someone's worth, to bow your knee before them and to kiss them and to give them, pay them homage and acknowledge their worth. And in Psalm chapter 2, it says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his Messiah, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Again, if you're looking for the real reason why these things are happening in the world today, you've got to look beyond politics and hear what's really being said in the secret chambers of the places where we are being governed today. Because this is what's really being said. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. God will not rule over us, and his Messiah will not reign. He who sits in the heavens, I love this, he just laughs. <laughs> and the Lord just makes fun of them. He scoffs at them. That's a picture we need to get of our God. He sits in the heavens and he laughs. He scoffs at them. He says that he will speak to them in his anger. The laughter turns to anger. And terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king, that's Jesus, upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations of your, as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and shall shatter them like earthenware. Now you remember in the New Testament, that is given to us as not you shall break them, that is you shall rule over them with a rod of iron. And the New Testament word used for rule is you will shepherd them with a rod of iron. You will rule over them with a rod of iron. And you shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. If we're going to write a letter to Joe Biden today, that's what you'd want to write to him. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. No, that's a bad translation. It's do kiss the Son is what it says. So worship the Lord and kiss the Son. But what are they doing? They're worshiping Satan and kissing the Antichrist. For his, his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the earth is trembling before Satan because of his great wrath and because he has such a short time. But we should be trembling before Jesus because he is coming. And the short time that Satan comes ends with Jesus coming and establishing all his authority on this earth. And if there's any message that we should be preaching to people, it's worship the Lord and kiss the Son before it's too late. Because his laughter is turning into great wrath. And he's not going to put up with these things forever. So we have this authority that he's given us. And then it says, go back over to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. And it says in verse 5. 
verse 5. So they, verse 4, they worshiped the beast. They said, who's like the beast? Who's able to wage war with him? Verse 5, there was given to him, to the Antichrist, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. He's got blasphemies written on his forehead. And now he's speaking these blasphemies out. An authority to act for 42 months, that's three and a half years, the time of the great tribulation was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. He's blaspheming the name of God and the name of his tabernacle. You are his tabernacle. You do not dwell on earth. You're physically located here right now, but you dwell in heaven. Your home is in heaven. So he's blaspheming, we might say, God and, and the church. He's speaking blasphemies against his tabernacle. It was also given to him to make war with the saints, that's one and the same, and to overcome them. Wait a minute, what does that mean? He already said, we overcome. Now it says he overcomes us. Well, it's, it's different levels of overcoming. It means physically he will overcome the saints. Physically there will be many who are put to death. There will be many who are persecuted. Will that happen in Yerington, Nevada? I don't, I don't know, but I'm going to say we got to be ready for it because it says the whole earth. So we got to be ready for that. We have to not love our lives even unto death because our overcoming doesn't happen in this life. Our overcoming happens through death. And if it doesn't happen in Yerington, Nevada, will we stand with our brothers and sisters in other places where it is happening? Will we stand together as one and risk our lives for the sake of the gospel as they did in the book of Acts? Because it tells us very plainly, and we have to know this, that he will make war with the saints. So don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when governments of this earth, when the United States government begins to make war with the saints. It's, it's told to us that this is going to happen. So we have to be ready for this. It says he will have authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. So it says every, every, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. That's not talking about us again. We're the ones, remember, we've already seen it in Revelation. We've been sealed in our foreheads by God. We don't dwell on earth. We dwell in heaven. We just happen to be located here right now. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life, that's why Jesus said, you better rejoice about that, of the lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear... Let him hear. If you have an ear tonight, then hear this. This is the truth. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. The Bible says in Hebrews 6.12 that through faith and patience we inherit the promises. Everyone who's ever been involved in any contest or battle anywhere in life, physical, mental, or spiritual, knows that you have to have faith and patience, perseverance. Anybody that's playing in a garden knows you have to have perseverance. Nothing in life happens without perseverance. We should not be daunted. We should not be depressed. We should not be upset that we're going through trials and tribulations. Instead, we should see them as God deems me worthy to fight in this battle, for me to go forth with his power in this battle, to tread on these servants and to tread on these scorpions. 
This is the greatest hour for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the destiny that he's given us. And he says, this is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. So what is that perseverance and that faith? Number one, that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So we know that this doesn't end with our death. Our names are already registered in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Everything that's happening is working for the redemption of the earth. This is not bad news, what's going on in the world today. What's going on in the world is good news. It's like, you know, we know a lot of examples, but sometimes things have to be burned down so they can be rebuilt. And things have to be destroyed before the coming of the, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of it. Things have to be judged. Let me put it that way. And judgment begins in the house of God. You know, we sang that song tonight, uh, He gives and takes away. That song, for some reason, when we were singing it tonight, I thought to myself, you know, Lord, I want to thank you for the things you've taken away from me. Because the best blessings I've had are not necessarily what you've given me all the time, but what you've taken away from me. And I said, thank you that you divide us away from the kingdom of darkness, that you don't allow us to get stuck in the kingdom of darkness, because we have to know which side we are on. You can see so clearly in this that there are only two sides that we can be on, and we have to be on the side of Jesus. We have to be in the kingdom of God. So our names are written in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the earth. And then we have this uh, perseverance in faith, that God has given us an ear. Listen to this. He's given us an ear to hear what the Spirit is speaking. People in the world today, they don't have an ear to hear what the Spirit is speaking. They don't know what's going on. They're panicked and they're afraid. And they haven't reached that level of panic yet that's noticeable. They're at that level of panic that's called denial. They're pretending like everything's going to be okay next year. If we just didn't get to this election in the fall, we'll make sure everything's okay. They don't get it yet. It's not going to just be okay. Things are going out of control. And it will get worse before it gets better. So we have this faith and perseverance. We actually know what's going on. We can read the Bible and hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And so we don't get depressed, we don't get afraid, we don't get into denial. We have an ear to hear. And then we have this perseverance in faith, that we have come out of captivity. We are not destined for captivity. It says, who's destined for captivity, into captivity he will go. But we already came out of captivity. We've been delivered from sin. And we're all about getting people out of captivity and setting them free. And then we have this perseverance in the faith that we do not kill with the sword. Those who kill with the sword, they will die by the sword. Jesus said that very clearly to Peter. He said, put your sword back in its place. He who lives by the sword, he will die by the sword. But we're not people who kill by the sword. We're people that heal by the sword of the word of God. And so we have this perseverance in faith. We can see ourselves as this great army of God. And just because we know that many of us will die in this battle doesn't mean we don't go into the battle, does it? In fact, uh, that's a glory in this battle. If that's God's choice, if that's God's will, but we go all the way to the end and we lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. So, the Antichrist isn't scary for us and his number of the beasts and these things should not put us in fear. So let me go through the rest of this and we're going to do it fast, I promise you. Because then we'll review some of this and put it back together. But look at verse 11. It says, So then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, 
And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. So this one comes out of the earth. Like I said, we can compare this to John the Baptist as an anti-John the Baptist, because he's going to work with the Antichrist and point the way, draw, draw all the people to the Antichrist, just as John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for the true Christ. And just like John the Baptist, everybody knew where he came from, and everybody accepted him as a prophet. They didn't like what he was preaching, but they knew that he was a prophet. And people will accept this person, and they will receive the message that he's preaching. He has two horns like a lamb, but he speaks as a dragon. So you look at him, he looks like a lamb. But when he speaks, he speaks the, the words of Satan. Isn't that what Paul said? Uh, and what Jesus said about uh, ravenous wolves coming in among you? On the outside, they look like wolves. On the outside, they look like sheep, but in their hearts, on the inside, they're, they're wolves. He says he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. Okay? So the first beast has the authority of Satan. This guy exercises the authority of the first beast. If you want a picture of that, remember Moses and Aaron. Not the Ten Commandments movie version. Because in the Bible, Moses hardly talks at all. The guy that looks the most powerful is Aaron. Aaron's the one that does everything. Okay? Because Moses was too afraid to speak. And so God told Moses, I'm going to give you Aaron to be your mouthpiece. So this guy is the mouthpiece for the Antichrist. And notice that he is a prophet. This is a religious system. It says he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Do we have any false prophets today? Yes, we do. Do we have any false prophets in history that have taken authority over huge portions of the earth? Muhammad. I'm not saying that this is Islam, okay? I kind of doubt it is. Because this is something new coming on the earth. We have examples of this in history that we can look and we can see. That a false prophet rises up preaching an antichrist and all the world listens to that person. And they are deceived by the lies that he tells. And so it says he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. So what we read about the first beast doesn't just happen. Now we get this section that explains to us how it happens. Because there is a religious doctrine being preached, false prophecies being done, false signs and wonders that are causing people to worship the first beast. Because we live in an age where we have learned, we've been trained uh, to believe what we see. Okay? We are being trained right now. Every, everyone knows that 99% of what they're saying on TV is a lie. And there's this little thing, and it's even a name for it, I can't remember what it is, but it's like a, something, something syndrome, that you listen to somebody, and they're telling a lie, and you know that it's a lie, 100% lie. The very next thing that they say, something in your brain clicks, because we can't handle it, and you start thinking, well, that's probably true then. If that was such an outlandish lie, that's probably true. And you have to train yourself to understand that if somebody lied to you once, they're lying to you all the time, okay? And they're lying to us. And, you know, I'm, I'm not telling you something that you do not know. But people believe what they're told on TV. People believe what they see. And, and it's so easy to deceive this generation more than any generation that's ever existed because we have Internet, because we have television. All the things in the book of Revelation become very easy to understand how this could happen, that it really could happen. So he causes them, he sees this fatal wound was healed, 
and, and remember, that is referring to a uh, kingdom. Being, it's not referring, I, I remember reading this, I didn't read it actually, because I thought then it was stupid, but I saw this book back in the 80s that had a picture of Gorbachev on the front of it with that you know, birthmark on his head. And the premise of the book was, this is Antichrist, because that's a wound on his head. But it says very clearly, one of his heads was wounded. Well, nobody I know has more than one head, right, physically. So it's not talking about a physical wound to his head, okay? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about one of those kingdoms. It says that fatal wound was healed. And it says this, this beast, he performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. Remember Janus and Jambres in the presence of Moses and before uh, uh, Pharaoh. They were able to do great signs up to a certain point. Their tricks worked up to a certain point. People believed them. It says he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image. Where have we seen that? Daniel chapter 2, in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, to make an image of the beast. And did Nebuchadnezzar actually do that? Yes. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He actually made an image and said that when the music plays, everyone has to bow the knee. We've talked about this, but it was just like in the time that John lived in Rome. All they had to do was take a pinch of incense, put it on the altar, and say that they were worshiping the emperor once a year and pay a tax. And many Christians were doing that. The book of Hebrews talks about it. The book of Revelation talks about it. They were taking the mark of the beast because they thought, well, it's just a little pinch of incense. It's just paying this little tax. It doesn't really mean anything, but it meant something quite significant in the spirit. It meant that they were pledging their allegiance to Caesar and not to God. And so this thing comes up in Revelation over and again, and so we see that this image, he tells the people that they have to make an image uh, to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. What that image is going to look like, I can speculate, I have no idea, but it'll be there. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Could this be some kind of internet thing, some kind of television thing? I mean, I can think of a million things it could be. But I don't know what it's going to be. But it's an image that everybody has to bow down to. Everyone has to bow down to. And this image actually speaks. And if they don't bow down, then they're going to be killed. And so many will be tempted to come and worship without really thinking this doesn't really mean anything. It was happening in the days that John was writing in the book of Revelation. This isn't something that's never happened before. It's already happened. Do you know that in the times of the first century that there were people that actually believed that the oracle would speak to them through the rock of Delphi? There's a, just a stone. There's, if you go down this street right here, what's that one? This street right here. What's it called? Oregon. Oregon Street. So if you go down Oregon Street to the corner, the guy that lives on the corner has this big rock on the corner with a hole in the middle. You know, it's like where they moved it there with that hole in the middle. Every time I drive back by that, I think of that rock because people would come up to this rock and a hole in the middle and they would ask questions and a voice would speak to them from out of the inside. And, and they believed that the gods were speaking to them. Even though what was really happening is the ventriloquist was causing a voice to come out of the middle of that, that rock. But they believed that. It's not because they're stupid. It's because they're deceived. 
Okay? The Greeks weren't stupid people. We still study their geometry, but they were deceived. And people are deceived today. And they believe things that are a complete and total lie, but they believe them because they've been deceived. And so this beast deceives people. He causes this image to speak. And there will be those who will not bow down like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he causes all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the freemen and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides, notice, it's not the Antichrist that does that. It's the false prophet that does that. I could think of some correlations during COVID that might refer to this. But and he provides that no one will be, and I'm not telling you the vaccination was the mark, but we're being prepared for that today. And we have to know that. It says that he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. So next time we'll start with 666, and I'll give you some information about that. Some of it we've already talked about, that it's too much to do at the end today, but I want to warn you, I'm not going to tell you what it means, because nobody knows yet. But what I want you to know is this, that the promise from God is that when we need to know, we will have the wisdom. It says, who has an ear to hear, let him hear. We have been given an ear to hear from God, and we better be exercising that now. We better not, again, I'm not going to get into whether you should be vaccinated or not, but I do know this, I'm just talking for myself, okay? That when all this stuff started, I knew that God said to me, you are not to get vaccinated, and nobody in your family is. That's me. That this is a lie, that this is not real, okay? I didn't say that to offend anybody that they get vaccinated. I don't care. You don't have to tell me about whether you got vaccinated or not. I don't want to know about it. But I just told you what I heard from God. And I know that if I said, ah, God, you know, I need to do this so that people won't be afraid to come to church, you know, because it's our business or something like that. Then I know I would have made a compromise with the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if we compromise with the voice of the Holy Spirit, when He's speaking to us, then where are we going to be five, six, seven years down the road? I mean, I know Christians all over the world who are so convinced that they will not be here during the time of the Great Tribulation that they know that they will never be encountered this mark of the beast. I read articles from very well-known Christians that said, we know that the vaccine cannot be the mark of the beast, which I agree with, I don't think that was the mark of the beast, uh, if only because there really wasn't any forcing us to you know, get it in order to buy or sell. There was a threat of that, but it never really came. Okay, But I know Christians who have said it can't be the mark of the beast because the rapture is going to happen and we won't be here when the mark of the beast comes. That's a really dangerous position to be in. Where you think that you know so much that you'll never encounter this. Because I want to tell you, it's so critical to us to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, to listen to the Word of God, and He speaks to us in our hearts. We have an ear to hear. John even said it like this, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things and don't even need me to teach you. That's in the Bible. You can hear God for yourself. And we need to grow up and hear God. And we need to practice being obedient to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Or we will be deceived. I know that we will be deceived. 
because we won't know things. There are things that God has spoken to me personally. I don't even want to go into them over the past few months that have shocked me. I have literally God's telling me something about world events, and I never thought of that in my life. And in fact, I would have been prejudiced, prejudiced against what God is saying to me before. But in that moment of time, I know, and the scriptures come alive, and I see that's God. And then I start looking. Does anybody else say that? Look at there. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that. You start doubting. Well, maybe that's not God. You know, no, I know that's God. <laughs> and you keep looking, looking, looking. Nobody else is saying it. But does that mean it's not God just because nobody else is saying it? Of course not. And we know the voice of our shepherd. And we can follow his voice. And so there is days coming. It will come. It will come. When everyone is says so. Very plain. Everyone will be forced to have a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. This could come out of chip, whatever, you know, I don't want to get into that. But in some way, everybody will be forced to take some kind of mark. And I'll talk to you about what that mark means and, and some possible understandings of 666 and these things. But ultimately, they mean that you have kissed the hand of the Antichrist, that you have bowed your knee to him. And according to the book of Revelation, it will be too late after that, okay? I know God's without a mercy, but I don't want to take my chances on that one because the book of Revelation says very plainly that once you receive that mark, that's it. And so we need to be sealed by God in our foreheads and following him. Amen? <coughs> Let's stand together. Father, I just thank you for your word this evening. I just pray, Lord, I, I know that sometimes it's, uh, people read these things and they, they get a little bit scared. It's really serious, really serious things. I don't know of any person who loves you with all of their heart that's scared of these things for themselves, but oftentimes I feel as a father, what kind of world are my children growing up in? How can I protect them from these things? And it seems sometimes a fear can come upon us, Lord. I just pray that your perfect love would cast out all that fear tonight that we would see that we have authority to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of Satan, and that we are those who are overcomers because we do not love our lives even unto death. By the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of our testimony, Lord, thank you that you've given us an ear to hear. I pray that you will teach us. Lord, I just ask you, we need to be trained more. <laughs> we need, Lord, really, don't send us out into the battle without enough training, Lord. We need to really know how to hear your voice, Lord. I just pray that you would pour out your spirit on all flesh. In this church, in all believers who are here in this valley and valleys over, Lord, in this part of northern Nevada, I pray that you would pour out your spirit. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, Lord. And that you would cause us to be these people that walk so closely with that we know your will, we know your way, and we are following you every step of our lives, Lord. I thank you that you have made us overcomers in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Be blessed this evening. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvinionfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.